incredible time of worship. I got to tell you, I think I could sing the song Heart of Worship in every worship set we ever do until the end of time. I'm excited about this moment that we get together as we open the word of God. This is crazy. Today is the final sermon installment in our Colossians series. I will never, ever, ever forget preaching through Colossians for the rest of my life because I never thought I'd be walking through this incredible letter in the New Testament during a global pandemic where our church could not meet together. And the amazing thing is God has used this letter that was written from Paul in prison to a church that he wanted to visit in person but couldn't. Now, Paul was held back by chains because of his faith and because of terrible rumors that were spread about him. We are held back by coronavirus. But I'm believing in this moment, and I'm believing that over the course of the last couple of months, God has done something unforgettable through Colossians. Many of you have been tracking with us through our guide to Colossians. Thank you for doing that. I'm believing that God has saved the best for last today. So the very last installment of our Colossians series, I want to give you the title right now. The title is, I Can't Do This Alone. I Can't do this alone. I think that's the title. I'm going to go ahead and look back. I heard a story about a pastor this week who was doing online church and he forgot his title and it freaked me out thinking that's going to happen to me eventually. And when it does, I'm just going to go ahead and admit it when it does, but that is the title and it's on the screen behind me. I can't do this alone. Could you look at somebody next to you and just say, I could not do this without you. I could not do this without you. I can't do this alone. My vision for this moment as we close down our series in Colossians is that we would have that moment where you decide to stop trying to take things on by yourself that you genuinely and sincerely need help with. And here's what I mean. Have you ever gotten to a point in doing something where you've been a little stubborn and you've insisted on doing something by yourself that you could have asked for help earlier and maybe you should have, but now you've gotten to the point where it is unmistakable. You can't carry what you're trying to carry alone. You can't complete the task that you're trying to complete alone. You genuinely and sincerely need help, but there's a part of you that wants to keep trying, but you know it's, it, it's pointless. There's no reason to keep going on alone. You go, you know what? I can't do this alone and I'm gonna admit it and I'm going to bring in help. By the way, in case you're wondering why my wife made the comment last week that the tool set in our house is hers, which was funny at the time, and I kind of diverted from it quickly, go back and watch the gathering from last Sunday, because that moment was hilarious. My wife did an incredible job, but she, she told everybody that the tool set in our house is hers, which is true. But the only reason why that is true is because I learned very early on in life that I have a limited capacity to fix anything. And no matter how hard I tried to build stuff or put stuff together or use things that a lot of men and get pumped up about. I end up asking for help eventually. And so you know what I found out? I've just found out I can be proactive. I can ask for help from the beginning and go, I wasn't called to fix this. And I can pray for you and preach to you while you work on fixing the thing that maybe you're better at fixing at. That's just me. I'm quicker to go, I can't fix this. I'm quicker to go, hey, I need directions. I grew up in a generation where following directions wasn't really a thing. Actually, when I was in high school, we had this thing called MapQuest. Anybody remember this? Where you would print the directions to where you were going before you went there and you would time how many miles you were on certain roads with the sheet you had okay it's been I'm following this okay map quest guys anybody I can't hear you but I'm trusting that there's some millennials who are hearing this and going I know about map quests there's older people who are listening to this. You're like, millennials know about that? Yes, I'm 31. I'm a millennial. We need to, we need to fix this confusion. Millennials are not that young anymore. 
Gen Z is the generation that's in college right now that's coming up behind us. Some millennials are people like me who are like, I did MapQuest. I listened to a CD player that had the tape player option. I've been there. Honda Accord was the car that I was driving at the time. I've got to get back to this sermon on Colossians and stop rambling about what life was like in 2002. If you have your Bible, would you hold it up? Hold it up in your living room. Hold it up right where you're sitting. Hold it up right now, loud and proud. Bible drill, single people, hold it up extra high. We're believing God to do something amazing, what only he can do. And for the final time, turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. I'm sure we'll return to this book again and again uh, over time and eventually. But the final time in this installment, I want to read Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18 to close down this letter. And it's interesting because when you look in your Bible at what you're turning to right now, a lot of you are going to ask yourself, how in the world is this going to be a sermon? In fact, our creative team at our church assumed that we were done with Colossians last week because they kind of read ahead and thought, well, how in the world can a sermon legitimately come out of those verses? Because it's just names and personal remarks. Surely there's not going to be a full sermon. Well, here's the thing. I actually believe that the true message behind what happens at the end of Colossians is just as powerful as anything written in the entire letter. And we're going to read the whole thing. And we're going to read a lot of names that may be difficult to pronounce. And for that reason, I'm actually going to read the verses off my iPad. Colossians chapter 4, we are going to begin in verse 7. If you're there, say I'm there. Here we go. Paul says... Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. Jesus, who is also called Justice, not to be confused with Jesus Christ, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house." After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. Remember my chains, grace be with you. Now what in the world was that 
A lot of times when Paul goes to close a letter, he sends some personal remarks that need to be passed along, but he tends to send longer remarks to churches that he doesn't have a personal relationship with. You see that in Romans and you see that here in Colossians. Paul is loading up the end of this letter with a very personal touch, wanting the church at Colossae to know that he is connected with a lot of people they are connected to, and he's got specific points of encouragement to give each one of them. Now keep in mind the context. Paul's imprisoned in Rome. He sent this full letter about the supremacy of Jesus over to the Colossians. He's encouraged them. He's warned them about some teachings that have creeped in. He's given them practical instructions about how to live as children of God. And now he's ready to wrap up. And all of a sudden there's all these names, most of which are people you don't even recognize. What does this have to do with your life? Well, I think the first thing to notice is this. As great as the Apostle Paul was, he was never alone in his ministry. When you read about Paul in the New Testament of the Bible, it's tempting to think of him as some kind of spiritual superhero who's one in a million. But in all actuality, Paul was surrounded by an army of co-workers and friends that carried the burden of his ministry and of the early church with him. And I think that's important for you and for me as people who have been called to live in the church of Jesus Christ 2,000 years later to know if the apostle Paul couldn't do what God called him to do alone, neither can you and neither can I. And it's not just about pulling off church. This is about how you live the Christian life. We say it all the time. God has rigged Christianity to be relational. And what we mean by that is that you cannot truly pursue God without a heart that wants to connect with him on the basis of love. So your pursuit of God can never be rooted in just knowing more about God or memorizing more facts. Faith is rooted in love. And you have to know that your God is a relational heavenly father to truly meet with him on the grounds that he has created you. God's rigged Christianity to be relational, but it does not stop there. It's not just your personal relationship with God. It's also rigged to be relational with your relationships with other people. The two are not separate when you read the scriptures. They're not independent. They're interdependent. And until you and I connect our relationships with one another to how we pursue a relationship with God, there's going to be a frustrating burden on our shoulders that is just too heavy to hold on to. God's method for the burden of the Christian life being carried in your life is not more effort on your part. It's not more frustration or more worship songs or more inspirational sermons. You want to know how God wants to lift off of your shoulders the burden you are holding on to right now? And I don't know your story. I don't know what you're holding on to. But I do know the consistent thread of scripture is this. When there is something on your life that's too much for you to carry, it's probably not intended to just be carried by you. The burden is for community. And so I could go into Colossians chapter 4 and tell you all about Luke. I could tell you all about Tychicus. I could tell you all about Onesimus. I could tell you all these stories about Paul's surrounding community. And we're going to get into some of that. But I think the grand story is this wasn't just about Paul. This is for you to understand that the Christian life is a group project. 
And when you start to accept that, now I hated group projects growing up, by the way. Because I was always like, oh, I'm going to end up being the one who's going to do all the work. Unless there's somebody in the group who wants an A more than I do. Enneagram threes, if you are in the group, we love being in your group growing up. And so the group project tends to veer toward the one who carries everything else. Here's the thing. We were all intended to carry each other's burdens. And when you allow that to sink into your soul, whatever feels like it's too heavy for you today starts to feel lighter. I'll give you an example. It was... About a year ago right now, we had gotten to the end of a ministry year that required more toil and effort than anything we have ever done as a church. We had a fall semester where we were doing five gatherings every Sunday at the AU Hotel. Some of you remember that. I barely remember it because by sermon number four, I couldn't even see straight. But it was so exhausting for our team. And so we made a switch. We thought, okay, what do we do with all of these people? Let's shift it and let's meet at Beard Eve's Coliseum. That'll be a lot easier because then we can all meet at once or maybe do two at the most and it'll lighten the load. But here's the thing. The burden of doing church in a basketball arena was even heavier than pulling off five at the hotel. And a lot of that burden fell on a group of college students that we call LDPs. Now, LDP just stands for our leadership development program. But we love year after year to see college students come into the center of what it looks like to be a part of ACC and serve and serve and serve in unique areas. So a lot of the burden of setting up for church every week and making church happen on a Sunday fell on a group of 21 and 22-year-olds who honestly didn't know what they were getting into when they signed up. And neither did we, and our plan wasn't to take away their entire weekend every weekend, which happens some of the time, and, and, and have that much. It's just how much the church was growing at the time. And we got to the end of the year. This was about a year ago. And I remember Matt and I talked about this guy coming down from Atlanta to speak to our LDPs. And our hope was that he was going to be able to encourage them and just remind them that what they were doing was worth it. And I remember seeing this meeting getting set up and you could see the look on these college students' faces of just like, I have worked and worked and worked and I don't think I can do it one more time. And this guy opens his Bible and starts reading from Colossians chapter 4, all of these names that no one's ever heard of. And I'm sitting here looking at my watch like, where is he going with this? What is he even talking about right now? And he's, he's tearing up reading about Epaphras and Aristarchus, legitimately getting emotional. And I'm like, I hope this has some sort of hook at the end that makes it all make sense. And then he sits there. You can ask our college students about this. He looks at them. And he says, I know that many of you are exhausted right now. But what I want you to know is that you could have put your name in the footnotes of a lot of stories that were written this year in Auburn, Alabama. But you chose to sacrifice to get your name into the eternal story that God is writing through the church. And I guarantee you, if you could talk to any one of those names in heaven, they would tell you, I'm so glad I sacrificed to be a part of the church at Colossae. He said, for every baby that you've had to hold while everybody else got to be in the service, for every late night, for every moment that you had to work in a way where no one really knew it was you and no one knew your name, you were contributing toward the story of the greatest name, the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, you could see their hope rising. You could see the burden being lifted. You could see college students going, I'm so glad I didn't spend this year on 
what most college students spend it on, and I'm not trying to like slight Greek events and all these different social things that happen. They're great, but they're, they're not as great as contributing toward what the kingdom of God is doing on planet Earth. And you can see their faces went from being so dejected and so exhausted to so grateful because they realized it's not about my name or any other name other than the name of Jesus. It is about being a part of an eternal story that I get to play a part in and none of us can do it alone. The burden gets lifted when you realized it's not just up to you and it's not about you. I believe ACC is in a powerful position when everybody brings their individual giftings to the table and goes, it's not about his name or her name or anybody in the picture on this earth. It is about leveraging everything that we've been given for the glory of God. And the burden is lifted. And I'm not just talking about serving in the local church that you're a part of. I'm talking about your everyday pursuit of Jesus. When your faith starts to become rooted in your own knowledge of the fact that you can't do it by yourself, what felt impossible for you to carry in one season not only starts to feel light and manageable, you start pushing it around in a way that you realize the power of Jesus is not limited to me looking up. The power of Jesus hits me when I look around. I can't do this alone. I found this in my own life. I've had so many struggles where I've gotten to the end of myself and wanted to give up. Let me tell you the difference between somebody who perseveres in their faith and somebody who doesn't. It's not that somebody had more strength than the other one. It's that somebody had friends and community and somebody felt isolated. And I've gotten to the end of myself and I've thought about different struggles that I've had. And and all of a sudden, when I shifted my mindset from, I've got to learn how to carry this. I've got to learn to overcome this. I've got to get better at this too. You know what? I got to tell somebody about this and I got to be honest about where I really am. And maybe God doesn't want me to solve this today. Maybe God wants me to share this burden. And all of a sudden it's getting carried and I'm getting freed up to live the life Jesus died for me to live. I can't do this alone. I believe it's one of the greatest realizations God can give you in your life personally. And I believe everything will change when your faith goes from your pursuit of God to being surrounded by a community who's carrying you and you're helping carry them. My favorite verse in this entire passage is verse 12. I could talk about a lot of them. I could talk about Mark. I could talk about Luke. Uh, There's a name in there, verse 14, Demas. He actually later deserts Paul. So don't hear me say that when you follow Jesus, all of your friendships and relationships go smoothly and there's no backstabbing and there's no pain. No, there is pain and it is messy. You know what, part of the reason why some of you are not deeply involved in community today is because you got burned and because things went poorly. But you need to know today, the reward of living in community far exceed the costs and consequences of living life in isolation. Don't stay there forever. Let God invade your heart and bring forgiveness. I want to tell you about Epaphras. Epaphras was the one who was visiting Paul in prison, and he was the one who was actually going to carry this letter Back to the church at Colossae. Here's what it said. We read this earlier. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. Look at this. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. How many of you have honestly heard of Epaphras before today? Look at this. He is always 
wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. If following Jesus has felt like too much of a burden for you, I wanna ask you a simple question. Is there anyone in your life right now who you can think of who wrestles in prayer for you? Who literally battles on their knees on your behalf? There's a reason why it feels too heavy. There's a reason why it feels too difficult. Because you're trying to carry it. And don't sit there and hear this message and just think to yourself, well, that's just because no one cares about me enough to actually pray for me. It's because we've got to be open enough to actually pursue relationships where this is the norm. When I moved to Auburn, Alabama, I did not know anything about Auburn. I'd actually never even physically been to Auburn. I did not come here because anyone in my family went to the school or because I liked the football team. Now, the magical football season was the year before I came here, but I honestly just watched that as a fan, and I was like, that's great, the, the kick six, that was amazing. I was like, that, that's so cool. But when we lost to FSU in the national championship, I didn't feel anything because I had no, don't be mad at me, please don't leave our church, and, 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 and don't judge me for that, but I was like, I, that just shows you. I did not have any sort of personal connection to Auburn, Alabama. Do you want to know what it was that drew me and my wife to being here? We would receive letters loaded with prayers for our family from moms who lived in Auburn, Alabama. I had no idea what ACC was going to turn into. I did not know how our vision for church was going to collide with this community or anything that was going to happen over the course of the last six years. But I did know that if my family was in this city, there was going to be people wrestling in prayer for me. And that's the secret sauce of ACC, by the way. Some of you think it's like, well, Miles yells and Matt sings really good and, and that's kind of different and so people are drawn to what God is doing there. No, I'll tell you what nobody sees. Nobody sees the groups of men and women who are legitimately, not theoretically, legitimately on their knees wrestling in prayer for what God is doing through this place. And that has so much more value than a lot of the giftings that are seen externally in the church. When you've got a community who's wrestling in prayer for you, when you've got older moms and dads in your life who are battling for you, who are encouraging you, now perseverance is actually realistic because it's not based on your strength that you stand. It's based on the fact that you've got an army around you, and it's not about the strength of that army. It's about the one who handed the strength to the church in the first place. Remember what Jesus said about the church? The gates of Hades will not overcome my church. Now, nobody thought of church as a building back then. Jesus used that word and nobody knew what he was talking about. It was just a word that meant community. Jesus was saying, I'm going to build this community and it will be unstoppable because I say so based on my authority. Our power as a unit moving forward together is directly related to the promises of Jesus over our community. And so I want you to know today at ACC, we talk about community groups, we talk about doing life together, and it feels a little weird to talk about this when we've had to be socially distant, but we're about to see things open up a little bit, but even being physically distant doesn't mean being socially distant. We can actually invest in each other more than ever before because we need each other like never before. But I don't want community to be that sermon that I do every once in a while to inspire people to be in community groups. You guys know, about every eight months, I do the exact same sermon differently. It's about living life in community. I'm doing it right now. 
And what's so annoying about doing that over and over and over again is a lot of you hear me repeat, you gotta do live in community. You gotta have friends. You gotta have people around you who support you. And some of you are just thinking that I'm trying to be invasive toward the way you live your life and try to make you someone you're not. Introverts, I know, you're like, well, you're trying to make me talk to the person next to me at church and now you want me to do life deeply and pray for people and have people pray for me and I don't know what I think about that. You need to know this. We're not trying to put you in a group as a means to some kind of end or as some kind of contemporary Christian strategy for what it means to be the church. We're trying to give you the only viable option for the perseverance of your faith. You were created to do life with other people. So make no mistake about it. This is not a movement that is rooted in cool contemporary Christianity. We are a movement that is rooted in surrounding people with people who love them right where they are, but love them too much to let them stay right there. And this is the safest place in the world to go, I'm not okay, but I got people around me who are going to carry me. And I got people who are in my corner. I got to tell you personally, there is no way that a 31-year-old man holding this microphone would be standing here today if it was up to my personal motivation to follow Jesus. I've had more moments than I'm comfortable sharing where I have wondered whether or not it's worth it. Where I have thought, you know what? This is getting really tiring. This is getting really hard. I can't feel Jesus. You want to know how God has sustained me, how God has sustained so many in our community through those moments? It's not from, well, just keep pushing one more day. It's from saying that to another person who wasn't judging, who wasn't trying to see all of that junk and say, oh, wow, you got problems. It comes from saying that out loud and somebody going, me too. I'm in this with you. And you can't do this alone. Neither can I. And so I got no points today, church. I got no, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. There is no immediate, okay, this is where we're landing this sermon. Where I wanted to land this sermon is with this challenge. I want Auburn Community Church to be able to be the church God has called us to be, regardless of whether or not we ever meet in a building again. Now, please don't let that scare you because some of you are hearing that and you're like, what? never again. The timeline just keeps getting pushed back. First we were May and then it's August and now oh, never again. Wow. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. We are going to meet together again. I promise this is going to end. But I do feel like the reason why God disoriented the church through coronavirus and allowed this to happen was to make sure the church was able to function regardless of whether or not they were able to gather in a building. And if the lack of being able to gather in a building cost us the ability to be a church, guess what? We're not a church. We have to be able to do this with or without our large gathering. And I'm going to take it a step further. We have to be able to be Auburn Community Church regardless of whether or not there's a video to press play on. I want ACC to actually be sustainable, not only if we can't gather in person, but also if for some reason we could never put the band on the screen and never hit play on a sermon from a leader in our church, I still want us to be able to be the church. 
And God is returning us in our day to the church of 2,000 years ago that was fully able to do that regardless. So I'm not saying you got to have the ability to preach and, and, and you should know who has each individual gifting in your individual unique circle. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is that if everything about the way we gathered ceased to exist, could you still follow Jesus and would it still be surrounded by people? We can't do this alone. And if we get in that position, that takes our actual gatherings on Sunday and explodes the magnitude of what God could do in and through us. It takes our capacity times a million because now you don't need a production. You don't need me to preach. You don't need them to sing. You just need Jesus, the word of God, and a group of people sitting around you. What did Paul say about the church? He said, the church that meets in Nympha's home. That's where it started. And I believe in our day, God is purifying his bride, taking us back to the beginning. What's the beginning? Our first love, Jesus himself. And surrounded by a group of people on mission. So if I did give you a practical application of this message, here it is. Before we sing this song and go our separate ways through another week of figuring out this uncertain season, here's what I want you to do. I'm not gonna pray to close this sermon. I want you to get out your phone if you're able or get out something to write with or even just in your mind right now. I want you to pick out one to three people in your life who you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you could not follow Jesus without. And if you have your phone, I want you to text them right now. You, you can make it super awkward. You can say, my pastor is preaching an online sermon right now and he said I needed to text somebody who I don't feel like I can follow Jesus without. And I just want you to know, you're one of my people. You can say, hey, I just this is random, but I couldn't do this without you. And I need you to know that, I'm so thankful. But I believe when we actually say things like that out loud, it creates the openness to conversations that needed to happen a long time ago. So would you take a second? Would you make that list even in your mind right now? Would you get your phone out in this moment and reach out to another human being and feel the power of Jesus over that relational connection? They'll play for just a minute while you do that and then we'll stand and sing together.